The Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. My name is Kate Setter and I'm your host for today. We are on episode 15 of the podcast this week and I am joined in the studio by Dr. Courtney Cinco, who is joining us to discuss the extremely important topic of suicide prevention. September is National Suicide Prevention Month and Dr. Cinco, will you start us off today just Give us an idea of why this is so important and why there is a whole month to ensure that we are talking about this topic. I think there are many factors as to why we devote a whole month to suicide prevention um, and awareness. Um, The first being is um, it's a, a whole month of space to talk about mental illness and mental health awareness Um, to decrease the stigma around it because there's still a lot of stigma around depression, anxiety, suicide. Um, I also think it's an important topic because it's worsening and we just keep seeing a worsening of mental health presentations um, in all ages. Um, But today we're talking about kids and teens. Taking care of kids who have mental illness or are struggling acutely with their mental health Um, is an extremely important part of the mission here at Cincinnati Children's. And I know that you are a large part of that. Will you tell us a little bit about uh, your role here and about the patients that you see? Absolutely. So I am a child and adolescent psychiatrist here at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Um, But I wear many hats in the things that I do. I'm also pediatrics trained, so I'm board certified in general pediatrics as well, but most of what I do is child and adolescent psychiatry. Um, So I first and foremost see patients. So I see children and teens with all sorts of mental health concerns and complaints. I am not a specialist, I'm a generalist when it comes to psychiatry, so I see everyone. My current role is I am in the emergency room doing emergency room psychiatry. I also teach residents and fellows, um, so medical doctors learning psychiatry. And I am in a role with our ECHO program. And this is a program where we at Cincinnati Children's teach pediatricians in the community about mental health and how better to treat and manage mental health conditions in their own offices. So I am part of learning, I'm part of teaching, and I'm part of treating mental illness. So this is a big part of my life and my passion for all that I do. So I suspect with your role in the emergency department that you've kind of had a front row seat to what you... Um, said just a few minutes ago is kind of a worsening situation for our adolescent and teen population um, in Cincinnati, but across the country, across the world, I'm certain. Um, Tell us a little bit about what's going on right now. Okay, so let's start before COVID-19 hit. 
Um, for many years before then, we just kept seeing rising numbers of child and adolescent mental health concerns, mostly anxiety, mostly depression. Um, suicide went from the third leading cause of death in, in teenagers to the second leading cause of death in teenagers during that time. Um, so there was a worsening mental health crisis in our kids and teens before COVID. And then COVID hit, and it just accelerated all of the badness. <laughs> um, in, in what we've been seeing is just everybody is just struggling. And when everybody struggles, people, um, kids and teens specifically, start to have even worse anxiety, worse depression. Um, so it's a big storm of badness is how I like to look at it. <laughs> It's a big storm that just seems to not be letting up. Yes. And so because we know the storm isn't letting up and we know that kids continue to struggle, um, and we're talking about suicide prevention. So as things just keep getting worse and kids don't know what else to do. Yeah. Um, what are we what what are we kind of talking about as a whole when we say suicide prevention? Like what goes into it? What can we do? I think there's a process to it. I think the first part is recognizing when kids are really struggling. So that's the number one thing that we can do. So we got to understand when kids are really sad or really anxious or aren't doing the things that they're supposed to be doing like their their functioning level. If um, you see your child struggling or your teen struggling a lot and they're not themselves and they seem to be depressed or anxious, that's the number one first thing to do is to recognize it. And then the second part is asking about it. Is if you're seeing someone struggle, you ask, say, hey, I noticed that there are these changes going on. What's going on? Like, you can be honest with me. Let's have a conversation about that. And sometimes kids and teens are like, no, no, I'm fine. They minimize all these things. But you keep asking because you as a parent or as a person in the community who sees children in whatever capacity, whether you're a counselor, a teacher, a parent, you're in tune to kids and you're going to know when something's going on. So you got to be persistent. So then once the dialogue happens and you recognize it and the kid says, hey, I'm not doing so good, then you, you ask about suicide. You got to say, so you've been down or you've been overwhelmed, you've been anxious, things aren't going well. Have you had thoughts that you'd rather be dead? And I think that's probably one of the hardest parts of this whole process is to, ha to actually say those words. Like, ha have, you ha have you gone there? Like, ha how, how bad are you feeling? Like, I... I can hold you and I can help you. Just tell me. So then you have the conversation. And then if the conversation is alarming, then you escalate care. Then we find mental health professionals. We go to the pediatricians and say, we need help. This kid is struggling. And then it goes from there. So those words are really hard. So hard. But what just occurred to me as you were saying them is, that if we as an adult say the hard words and all the kiddo has to say is yes or no, we're probably going to 
get something that is more truthful than if they have to say those words. Absolutely. So I, so talk to me about who's most at risk for suicide. Like, I think that the kids that we know well, we can see, but is there any way for parents, friends, you know, I, I see my kiddos friends fairly often. Um, are there any that are particularly at risk that should just kind of give somebody a, a way to keep a closer eye? Yes. So I'm glad you asked this question. Um, so there are flags that people can look for. And I will say, so the biggest risk of a suicide attempt is having a previous suicide attempt and having a serious mental illness. So those kids that we know who struggle with depression or anxiety or have had suicidality in the past, there should be flags up for that already. But the kids that maybe never had those things before but are struggling, and we know there's so many out there right now, what you look for is a change in behavior, a more so isolating to themselves. Getting teens who are struggling with depression start to have really negative thoughts about themselves and their relationships in their head and their relationship struggle, and they take themselves out of relationships. So you'll notice that kids will start to spend more time by themselves. They'll be not present when they normally would be. They're not doing the things or activities that they normally like to do. Um, They're not talking as much. These are really big red flags to have that, to go and have that conversation with your kid. Don't wait. Once you start noticing it, the earlier, the better. Open that, that dialogue with them and say, hey, what's going on? I'm noticing these specific things. So when a parent does notice that a kiddo is struggling, um, and those words that you shared a little bit ago are so helpful. I feel like sometimes the best thing we can do to help people get you know, started with a conversation is to help give them some words. Are there other things that, um, that, that can be helpful to families for like starting that conversation or if it isn't their own kiddo, but a a friend or a teammate that they notice, what should we, how should we be thinking about how to start those conversations to make sure that they are productive and don't just lead to shutting down? I think that's a great question. The way I think to best approach this is to go into this conversation from a place of caring, from a place of non-judgment. Just say, I'm worried. This is what I'm noticing. Help me understand. And then there's always the the part of the conversation where you say, what can I do to help? I'm here for you. Let me support you in whatever capacity that is, right? Because that, that works for everybody. And then maybe that first conversation doesn't quite go well and the kid shuts down. But you are in tune, and maybe you can talk to the family a little bit about it um, if you're not a family member, and then keep having the conversation. Keep being there for that kid. And some kids open up way earlier than others, but the fact that you're there and you asked about it, that's amazing. 
I mean, that, that step alone says to that kid, someone is noticing me, somebody cares about me. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I'm not alone. So unfortunately, there are plenty of kids who know someone who has either um, taken their life by suicide or has attempted. How should parents approach conversations with their own children when there is an example like that as kind of the beginning of the conversation? I am always a proponent of honesty is best. And now this depends on the developmental level of your child or your teen, um, which you, you will know as a, as a parent or as a family member. Um, but I think you just be honest and say this person was struggling. They had depression. They were really sad. They decided to end their own life. And you can support your kid and say, I, I can see how this might be hard. It's hard for me too. It's hard for most people when this happens. How can we get through this together? What can I do for you? How do you feel about this? And then there's always the question of, do you feel like you need to go talk to someone about it, right? See if they need you know, a little bit of extra help from outside the family, like a therapist, a counselor, psychiatrist, that kind of thing. Um, I caution against trying to hide these things uh, because in most of the time and in my experience, the kids always find out. And then they get really mad at the parents or whoever didn't tell them. Um, and it's really hard to backpedal from there. And I know it's really hard to talk about it as well, but at least going to your kids in an open and honest way is going to earn you way more points than if you try to hide and they find out later. Because then they're not going to trust you and they won't come to you and then it, it just gets, they could get worse. So you mentioned, we, we kind of talk about kids and teens, mm-hmm. um, putting them together, but they're f- so very different in so many ways too. Is there anything that is particularly important to know about younger children who might really be struggling and do the signs that they are, um, that that struggle is amplifying do those signs look any different? Like, how, how can we be thinking about that? So you're right. They are different, and their presentations of sh- like when they're in crisis are different, right? So when I think of kids, I think of you know, kids twelve under twelve, under eleven, depending on their developmental level. It's not always you know succinct. Um, and then teenagers are you know middle school and up for the most part. But the littler kids, we know they're struggling as well. So this isn't just an adolescent mental health problem. It isn't just adolescent suicide. Because unfortunately, the rates of suicide between in that 8 to 12 group is also rising, which is very kind of disheartening and scary to think about. Um, and particularly in the um, communities of color, those younger age groups, the suicide rate is increasing. Um, so for those younger kids, what you're going to look out for is they are not good with words. So they, 
just aren't going to tell you that they're sad or worried or they're upset that dad lost his job or that there's no food, right? These stressors, they can't tell you their stressors. So what they do is they make up stories about other people's stressors um, or they act out or they get aggressive. Um, and aggressive, uh, being aggressive is it can be a sign of anxiety. It can be a sign of depression. It can be a sign of just about everything. Like aggression to a younger kid is like a, a runny nose to a cold. <laughs> it's you don't know what it is, but you know it's a struggle, right? Because mm -hmm. the little kids are so limited in the way that they communicate their internal feelings because their internal feelings are so confusing to them. Um, it's very an abstract world. The feelings don't make sense. They're not supposed to make sense because they're feelings. They're like the opposite of logic. And little kids struggle with that. They don't, it, it's very, very hard for them. We don't develop the capacity to understand that until we get into adolescence. So if you think your younger kid is struggling, if they're not functioning to their usual level, if you're seeing changes in behaviors, if they're not eating, all of these things, that should be a red flag. And then the red flag is a call to the pediatrician, correct? Yeah. I call to the pediatrician. If they already have supports, call that person. Lots of, multiple options. Just get help. Yes. So speaking of help, um, talk to me a little bit about the resources that are available in the community. So like I know National Suicide Hotlines, like all of these things um, and as with so many things, sometimes there are, it gets a little confusing. So will you help us kind of sort through what is what and how we should be using particular resources at different times? So I think it starts with a call to the pediatrician. I think you are absolutely correct on, on that statement. If you are worried about your child the pediatrician is a first place to talk about it because that care provider knows your child, knows you, has a relationship, kind of understands you know, where you come from, who you are, what's going on in, in that child better. So from there, the pediatrician can recommend you know, the next step in treatment, whether it's come in, let's see the kid, let's talk about some of these issues that are going on. And then when the, the kid is seen, um, make recommendations from there. Like how, what is the severity level of what is going on? Who, who do they go to next? If there is a next, maybe it's just, you know, increasing supervision at home, making sure you're talking to your child, like very little things, making sure they're sleeping, making sure they're eating, making sure they're, they have a schedule. Those, those little things can go a long, a long way. But the pediatrician will be able to kind of triage you, the, the child to the best next level of care if there is one or follow up with them in their current state. So there, we often talk about mental health resources, right? So I would say that if you take your child to the pediatrician, then the pediatrician is very well aware of your community resources, no matter what community you're in. Who can we refer this child to? What kind of therapy do they need? Do they, do they need someone to maybe think about a medicine if they're that severe? That kind of thing. Um, you can think about and refer yourself to those um, 
agency is in levels of care without the pediatrician. Um, and you can call Cincinnati Children's to do that. But I think the most exact pathway of care is through the pediatrician. So in our community, to kind of explain some of the mental health supports in our community, um, we have many different agencies that provide therapy and counseling that you would think about. And then we have some agencies in the community that provide psychiatry and medication, um, mental health medication services as well. Cincinnati Children's does all of that and more. We have the emergency room for emergencies. Mm -hmm. um, and if there is somebody in the community who's really, really worried about their child, we say, call the emergency room, bring them to the emergency room, we'll figure out everything else later, especially when it comes to suicide. If you know that your child is struggling and they start talking about suicide, you can bring them to the emergency room and we'll figure everything else out later. Just get here so we can help. Yes. And then, so as far as like national suicide hotlines, I don't, so I recommend them for when people and kids are really struggling and they feel like they have no one to talk to, right? That's, it's an anonymous resource. And some kids feel like they don't have anyone to talk to. Um, but the kids who do have people to talk to, those kids are more likely to engage in our community resources. Um, and then online, um, one of my most favorite things in Cincinnati, we have Mind Peace. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, um, but it's a resource collection of all of the different um, places that um, offer therapy services and mental health um, places to um, find mental health services. When I was doing some research and just trying to um, immerse myself a little bit in the topic before this conversation with you today, I saw in several different places um, some reference to the fact that um, kids and teens who identify as LGBTQ plus um, have a much higher risk factor um, for attempting a suicide, um, just kind of risk for mental illness in general. Will you talk a little bit about that? So yes, our LGBTQ plus community, those kids are at a much higher risk of attempting and dying by suicide. Um, there are a lot of um, unfortunate psychosocial stressors that go along with being in that community and identifying in that community. Um, and some of them are outside of the child's control. Actually, I would say most of them are outside of the child's control. Um, so I think there's stigma and judgment on all of those kids. And it's very hard to be them in our current society. So as a follow-up to that, one of the things that um, I've was also shared with us is that acceptance from family and peers is a strong protective factor for these kids. Um, and I'm curious what other protective factors there are for kids it, who identify in that community, as well as kids who just have a history of mental health struggle and 
like how can we how can we cocoon these kids and help protect them i think you hit it right on the money with all kids not just our lgbtq plus kids um, the most important thing we can do to prevent suicide is to increase our psychosocial supports of them, to increase their meaningful relationships with other people around them. That is one of the most basic resilience factors and protective factors against suicide. The more meaningful relationships teenagers and children have with caregivers, siblings, friends, teachers, the better they do, the better they thrive, the more likely they are to be able to handle adversity as it comes at them. And, and that's what we want to see. Um, so I would say that is the number one factor that we can do to prevent suicide in all this whole age group is to make sure we're supporting our kids, we're checking in with them, we're talking about them, we're caring for them, we're, you know, we're showing them that we're there for them. Some of the other things that are protective factors that we can help develop in kids is one of the biggest things is self-esteem. So how do we build self-esteem in kids? We have them do activities that help them feel good, that help them feel like they matter, they make a difference. Uh, but, and that's different for each kid. Um, but we can sow those good, positive self ideas in our kids, the better they do. Um, so one of those protective factors is increasing their self-esteem. On that same kind of note, improving their coping skills. So this part of what I do every day is talk about coping skills all day long. It's like, how do we, how do we get ourselves through those big waves of feelings? What can we do to keep ourselves going? Um, and that's different for every kid, but that goes right along with that self-esteem. Like we're building self-esteem, but also doing activities and making sure we're getting through the, the rough times because a lot of times we don't have control over the rough times and the kids don't either. But if we can teach them to get through them, the better they're going to do. I want to circle back just one moment to, um, to the pandemic actually. Because it sounds like, yes, we are already on this trajectory of, um, you know, mental health struggle in this age group of kids was already building. And then we toss in this thing that is unlike any of us have ever seen before. And isolation is part of it and loss of people is part of it and loss of experiences. I mean, there's just been so many things, one on top of the other that these kids are dealing with. And I feel like we've gotten to the point where even kids who have strong coping skills, like those coping skills, I'm, I know my own personal coping skills are being worn down. Um, how should we be thinking about that? How, how can we, you know, because it, it felt like maybe we saw a light at the end of the tunnel and then here we are again with this pandemic just going crazy. So any thoughts on what, what we can be doing as this continues to help kids make it through? 
I have so many thoughts. <laughs> um, when I think about COVID, so it being, I, I mentioned it, it's like the perfect storm of badness. Mm-hmm. So the there's multiple factors that, that are at play as to why the kids are feeling it so acutely and so much worse than adults. Right? We're all feeling it as adults, but they are definitely extra super sensitive to all of this. So when I think about it, there's, there's a few major factors as to why. One of them is sleep. Sleep is so important to the growing mind. Um, without an adequate sleep schedule, children lose their ability to emotionally regulate. Just think of like your two-year-old who hasn't had their nap and they're just an emotional train wreck on the floor. Well, all of us are kind of like that too, except it's not so overt. So kids and teenagers need an adequate amount of sleep so they can emotionally regulate. They, they can manage their stressors. Without enough sleep, they get really irritable. They can't focus. They can't pay attention. They get difficult to deal with. So there's sleep is one of those big components that I think with the lack of schedules and remote learning and parents being on, you know, lots of different stressors and being on remote work. And so I think that's one of the biggest contributors to this. Second is school. So it's the, so remote schooling has definitely taken a toll on all of our kids. It is a difficult thing for them to navigate on so many different levels when they struggle with school they learn they start to struggle with their self-esteem so they're they're struggling with their sense of purpose and then they've lost their ability to connect with friends and people and their support systems so that also lowers their mood makes them more sad depressed anxious and then because they don't have those opportunities to grow and develop normal social ways, um, it's, it's been over a year now. So they've lost a year of regular development in the context of other people. Um, so because they don't have those opportunities, they start to lose their sense of self. They start to lose who they are, where they belong in the world. They start to forget who actually cares about them. Um, and it kind of just makes them feel bad inside and worried and stressed out um so there's that so there's the loss of the ability to have coping skills right a lot of kids use activities use friends use socializing as their main coping skill and that's a normal thing Mm -hmm. for kids and teenagers that's what they're supposed to be doing but they don't have access to that so we took away their coping skills. So they're super stressed out. They're tired. They can't focus. They're not doing school. You know, yeah, you can't have coping skills because you just can't do it. Um, and then lastly, I think there's this trauma and grief response. So there's this profound sadness from the loss of so many things. And that's the loss of those friendships, the loss of those milestones in middle school and high school like people didn't get to graduate people didn't get to go to dances they didn't get to have those things that they think about as like the quintessential high school or middle school experience right Mm -hmm. so they feel it's gone from them and taken away 
And then you add the kids who have lost people to COVID. So there's the death and the dying and the stress of always talking about numbers of people dying and, you know, trying to keep yourself safe. And, you know, there's just all that extra level of anxiety that we all have. Um, so it's just, it is just so much for someone developing to take in and be able to handle. So what do I think to do? Like, what is the recipe for our kids right now? So... My most important advice advice to everybody out there is to make sure that kids are sleeping. Like I think that's the number one most important controllable factor we have is sleep and having kids on a schedule. So at least 8 to 10 hours of sleep a day. Make sure they're going to bed at a decent time, not staying up on their electronics. Take those cell phones away at night, an hour before bedtime, no screens. I know I'm mean. I'm terribly mean. But sleep is so important to all of the functions of life and, and emotions. So then, so sleep, and then I think about diet and exercise, um, which none of us, well, most of us are not getting enough of. Like, we're not getting enough exercise. Exercise has been shown to be just as effective in some cases against depression as medication. So regular cardiac exercise is very good for the good brain chemicals so we have sleep make sure we're eating a healthy diet exercising lastly connecting so important just to have those conversations with kids just to check in just to make sure they're doing okay talk with them about their day talk with them about their struggles and if they don't want to talk to you still ask keep going push the issue be persistent because then you're going to show that you, you care about them and you support them. And remember that the more meaningful relationship someone has, the more protected they are against suicide. I cannot think of anything that could possibly round out that, this conversation any better than that just did. Was there anything else that you wanted to make sure that we share with people in this forum today? If I haven't talked about it enough, I think the message that I can give everybody is just ask. Like, we're all struggling, and it's okay to struggle. Like, it's okay to be sad, and it's okay to be anxious and worried about little things and the world at large. Like, it is challenging right now in the world, especially for kids and teens. So the biggest advice, the number one pearl I could give it's just talk about it. Put it out there. Say it's okay. We're just gonna. We're, we'll all struggle together. We'll get you help. We'll, we'll do what we gotta do, and it's gonna be okay. Um, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for your time, and for sharing what you know and um, sharing your experience with uh, this extremely important topic, so that we can help more kids. Um, so thank you. I appreciate it, and. We will see you next week with another episode of the Young and Healthy Podcast. Thank you. This episode was recorded on September 22nd, 2021. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Our theme music was created by the talented Stephen Greco. This episode was produced by Symphony Pitts. Thanks for listening.
Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.